0: What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC.
1: Hello, and welcome to a spooky episode of Saturday Night Shoggy. Today, I am joined by my lovely co-hosts, V-Lord and Sekaki. Say hello.
2: Hello. When did Bergen
1: become British? <laughs> uh, it's one of my many talents.
2: What is the blade?
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm actually Welsh. Did you know that? You're Makes Welsh, so
2: much man. sense now. Marion's the <laughs> secret rare blade in Zettle Blade
1: 2. Okay, uh alongside our <laughs> usual co-hosts, we have a very special <laughs> guest, Lum Ron Say what's up, Lum.
0: Hello, and I'm here to exercise you, you Welsh valentine's vampire with your off-seasonal intro i've got the mirror in my hand that sees through the horrors inside you i'm through the other side of this mic i will exercise your monsters and stomp them out so we can have a normal podcast discussion on these lovely stories <laughs> from ruko
1: oh I'm melting. We're disintegrating no, into master.
0: monsters. Oh, it's so disgusting and nauseating. We gotta <laughs> stop all oh, these monsters. There's nothing left of Miriam, but their clothes. That was kind of effed up. Well, it's as messed up as the stories in the book are the first story in the book. <laughs>
1: yeah, today today's episode is gonna be about Came the Mirror and Other Tales by Rumiko Takahashi. We had to get the Takahashi Expert from MAGA Mavericks.
0: Oh thank you. I will say I am an enthusiast. I don't know if I can claim to be an expert when we have the good folks at like Rubik World out there and like so many like long-time diehard Takahashi fans, you know, I was just on a stream. Uh, with Brent and Jordy uh, and the rest of the Loom Squad crew, who, who is, like, showing a huge collection of UI merch. And it's like, I couldn't even hope to to compare in terms of the, that kind of collection. So, you know. But, no, I am a huge enthusiast and lover of Takashi's works, and it is so exciting to get another one of her short story collections available out here, and localized it has been 20 nearly 24 years since the last release of one of rumiko takahashi's one-shot collections in the u.s one or double came out in like july of 1998 so it has been a long time and this book in particular Damn. for the japan side goes it was the first new release in the Rumic world imprint of takahashi short story collections in 20 years Whereas Wonder Double came out in Japan in 1995, and then King of the Mirror came out in 2015. So, yeah, I mean, it's been a long time coming. And... Yeah, like it's cool to just have another collection of Rumic World stories, and there are a lot of you know other releases from Takashi in terms of one-shot collections in the Rumic Theater series that this I would love to see them license, and you know I would love to see them republish the older Rumic World and Rumic Theater collections, and hopefully if this book does well, and with as all in on Takashi has been doing, hopefully we will see that come to pass. But this is a great first start
2: inject all of it into our veins
1: yeah just turn us all into parasites
3: (coughs) (laughs) giving people the heebie-jeebies on the inside since 2015
1: (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) oh you know i actually was wondering uh when this came out and i I did notice at the end when i saw the the i forgot what that page is called the credits page Mm -hmm. i don't know uh because i was like oh this is it's an interesting story. It reminded me a little bit of um, I don't know why. So the vibe I got from these short stories reminded me a lot of um, uh, oddly enough, Beyond Belief Factor Fiction. Beyond mm-hmm. Belief Factor Fiction, uh, hosted by Jonathan Frakes, because uh, <laughs> a lot of a lot of it, it, it like veers between like horror and suspense and also uh, humor. Yeah. And like a, you know that way that Takahashi does. Yeah. Which is like
0: it's very. Too spumpy, but for more an adult audience, you know? A lot of these yeah. are published in big comic, so for more an adult crowd. But the, the main distinction between Rumic World and Rumic Tita Collections, that's the Rumic World Collections do also contain Shonen Sunday uh, and her Shonen one-shots, so we do have, like, two from Sunday in particular. But yeah, this is, like, generally a collection of horror stories. And, like, pretty much annually, Takahashi does write a new one-shot, alongside her, you know, current serialization, usually in big comic. And usually these works tend to be horror-teamed. I think that she likes to use them as a way to explore ideas and subject matter she can't quite do, it wouldn't be, like, totally appropriate to do in whatever she's working with at the time. So, especially, like, you know, we're seeing, you know, more slice of lifey kind of stories... Particularly like in the stories I ran during the Iniastra era. And then we see like more hard horror type stories during the Renee era in terms of the stories in this collection. And it's pretty cool to see. I had read a few of these before just individually when people had translated. Just half of these I'd read before uh, Revenge at All, Kingdom Mirror, and Sweet Sunday when people translated them. But it's cool to like have the collection out and like read all the. This- these stories in this book, and can have some new stories from Takashi that I uh, hadn't read before, which is really nice. But, yeah. Nice. Okay. I mean,
3: I, I will say that this is the first time I've really read... Well, no. I've read one of her uh, collections, but a little bit of Macho and Dinner, but obviously that's in Japanese, so I don't understand everything. But
0: Yeah. So this
3: would be my first time reading one of her collections in English, and it yeah. definitely still very much has her vibe, because um as I was reading through it, I was like, yeah, this is definitely only a thing Takahashi would do. But it does it does have that air. It it does have this kind of like vibe that you wouldn't get from like the Sunday works. Like the one that did run in Sunday did feel something like I was describing Rama. it to- I
0: mean, it is yes, very Rama-esque. Yes, one with yes, the main protagonist fear a- of cats, the strange Sundata relationship between him and the female lead. Yeah. I mean, the transformation gimmick too. Yeah, it's very like, oh, this is kind of like a return to kind of Rama motif. Which I found yeah, I was, pretty interesting. I was
3: describing it to Jack as Garfield with Ranma. <laughs> but like, yeah, it, it that one felt like a Ramma. It would be a Rama episode. So, mm-hmm. but the one that I, I guess what surprised me most—I I won't go too much into detail because we'll probably talk a lot about it—is just the um, my sweet Sunday between her and Adachi. That I saw it on the table of contents, but I wasn't expecting what it ended up being, and yeah. I re- that was. That it, it had to be my favorite part. Of this I think apology. that's
0: the other thing we got to talk about is that not only is this like the first like short story collection from Dakashi published by Viz in over 20 years. Like, this is ends up being kind of the first, like, a publication of one of Mitsuru Adachi's manga they've done since they finished Cross Game. Because, oh, yes, God, My Sweet yeah. Sunday is a collaboration manga between Adachi and Takahashi, exploring their relationship with Shonen something, and how they came up as manga creators and how interconnected their journeys were. And yeah, it's just Takashi and Nidachi kind of going back and forth in terms of outlining, drawing out their lives, culminating in their fateful meeting over beef hot pot in 1982. Yeah, yeah, it's really awesome that in the process of releasing this book, we also have a new Adachi manga localized for the first time in nearly 10 years when the last volume of Cross Game came out. So it is very much well welcome. And of course, this short story, uh, this one shot was published to commemorate the 50th anniversary of Shonen Sunday back in 2009, which very appropriate to have like Adachi and Takahashi kind of both Draw out and talk about their relationship to Sunday as like the two creators who probably like really made it what it is known for today. Mm-hmm. The king and queen of Sunday. Mm-hmm. I like I
3: like that Adachi kind of name name drops Aoyama though.
0: No, he <laughs> like... acknowledges Aoyama is like yeah, you no know, Aoyama is a big dog too. But like yeah, yeah, yeah he
1: does. I mean, if those are king and queen. Uh, Aoyama is
3: god (laughs) (laughs) i mean it it kind of it kind of goes back to the interview that i translated with Aoyama and adachi way back where yeah even there adachi kind of acknowledges yeah you've had Mm. he's of course very humble like he and he is in this in this too where he's like i've just been doing the same thing for like 30 years you're the one that's actually pioneering doing new things
0: yeah, no, so. he really says that oh, it really is because of trailbases like Takahashi that I you know, I was able to kind of ride their cool chairs and also make my mark in Sunday as well because his big debut in Sunday did come after UI was published and stuff. But also Takahashi for a long time has always, you know, felt like, you know, Atashi someone I need to catch up to. He's like a person whose level of work is like someone I really want to match. And it's like, you know, because she originally like saw like one of his, or, First works published in Sunday, like back when she was a kid. And you know, he's six years older than her. So it's like she like was aware of him all the way back then. And for the longest time, she would be reading my magazines and thinking, oh, is this Adachi's new work? Is this Adachi? He's using a new <laughs> pseudonym, but this is Adachi, right? And she was wrong, it's on these kids, it was just different <laughs> authors. But no, like she was following his career so closely for years, and he she he was someone she really looked up to, and she still looks up to. There was a recent Translation of an interview from the Rumo from a Rupumo Takahashi like essay book that got translated mm-hmm. into the Comics Journal, uh, just recently. And in that, all oh, too, like the writer was commenting about the like, meeting Kakashi Noyama uh, or Takashi and Adachi. And Takashi was talking about Adachi in a very reverent way, of, like, man, he's like someone I still can't beat, I still can't catch up to. And it's like it's so interesting that they have like this such long standing relationship of inspiring each other. And like, they have such a really close friendship and rivalry in terms of like pushing and inspiring each other to like want to create something like as good as the other, which is so, so cool.
1: Yeah. 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 I I think um, it's, it's a really good uh, thing whenever we get uh, these kind of comics about like how the comic creators like, got to where they are, especially when it comes to like interpersonal relationships with other creators. Cause that kind of, um, I don't know, like that kind of content, I guess is something that it, it provides a lot of context for, um, like the, the trajectory in their careers. Like, Oh, like throughout this whole time, like, uh, like Takahashi, she, she tried, uh, submitting works to other magazines or whatever, but then, uh, she had one comment. She's like, Hmm. I think I'll go to Sunday cuz their readers are nicer to newcomers. Yeah.
0: <laughs> no, it's I a super interesting too. look at like the magazine culture time like what were the magazines and the titles that were like really turning heads right. and trailblazing for the time. Like the discussion well, of this Cole is the magazine, magazine like the premier magazine for cultivating new manga Thailand that was run by Tezuka and a lot of other greats of the era that Adachi was encouraged to submit to by his brother. Like that was super interesting just seeing like what magazines what creators were like really encouraging the growth of these artists the next generation Mm -hmm.
2: yeah especially like cool seeing like the types of manga that like takahashi was reading yeah i I gotta say i love seeing joe yabuki takahashi style she
0: is a big uh, yabuki joe fan she's a big ashina joe fan there is an interview out there that I don't know who's translated yet. It should be, hopefully, someone will one day. But, like, yeah. no, She's Sakaki, a big fan.
2: Please but, do yeah, it. It's also what? so <laughs> cute
0: to see her, like, fangirl, Ryuichi Kagami And, like, her, yes. kid, like, oh, I want to be a, a, in this guy's world. His art is so cool. I want to be a manga reader. I want to go to school to meet Ryuichi Kagami. And just by chance, by enrolling Kaze Okoyuki's Giga Sanjuka, she had one of her first, like, guest speakers was Hikigami. And uh, I love the expression she makes. She draws where she's, like, just smitten, just awestruck and just has this wanting desire to, like, tell him she loves it. It's just so so fun. <laughs> uh, just to see, like, what kind of, what mangaka she idolized if she fangled over.
1: Yeah, I also, I think it's, uh, her story is really interesting, too, because there were times where she was kind of discouraged and, like, wasn't as, like, hyper-focused on making art or whatever, like. In college, she majored in history, uh, mm-hmm. but there there were a lot of people that uh, at her at her girls' college also really liked manga, so yeah. they joined the manga club, and that's what kind of reinvigorated her her whole passion for it. Yeah, which is it's pretty cool. It's like it's never too late to like pick something back up.
0: No, totally. I mean, we both see Takashi Miadachi kind of fight against their parents or fight against like societal expectations of like oh we'll grow up to get like kind of normal type jobs you know that's the parents like, like the Dachi frames it <laughs> his journey of like this is the story of how I would disappoint my parents and keep disappointing them and it's so funny. <laughs> it's I, I like, like that you know. he
3: throws out there too that his brother is like he was already a disappointment so yeah
0: uh, I him, like, <laughs> I he draws his brother is like holding him gunpoint in the scheme I was like I'm gonna I'm gonna take I'm gonna make a mangaka out of Mitsuru. I'm taking him with me. <laughs> That's very funny. It's like it's it's nice seeing his brother with such a huge en- point of encouragement in his life. Like a huge like mentor figure, like tell him hey you're very good at it. You should enter this contest. And when he saw that oh Dachi really has a talent he like got acknowledged in the contest. He was like oh you know this guy is, is real potential you know i'm gonna help cultivate him and that in turn encouraged him to like uh, return to his own dreams of like being a manga artist himself which was really nice yeah. and sweet
3: and yeah, yeah he's drawing a monk kind of an autobiograph- autobiographical manga right now of him and uh, the older brother uh mm-hmm. Tomu is drawing one of him and his younger brother and it's currently running in guess on so yeah so I, I really
0: worked out yeah
3: so that that could also offer some more anecdotes and everything to, you know, his journey. Um Yeah. But yeah, like I going back just a little bit to um, you know, the formation of the Shonen magazine, there's a rich history to that. And I do think that probably the reason why Sunday was so kind <laughs> to newbies at that point back then was because um It was a newer was magazine. This, yeah, it was a newer magazine, and there's this idea, like there was I think by the time like Takahashi and Mitsuru Adachi were like looking to get into manga, they had started solidifying what it was shown in should be. Cause mm. it was a way different way back in the day. You had like essays, like the very first episode, the very first, um, issue of Sunday actually had like an essay uh, from a child psychologist in it. So they weren't really mm. even doing manga that much until way later. I forget the guy's name that he solidified that, hey, manga magazines should be mainly centered around, like, manga. Before that, Shonen Sunday was a magazine. The manga mm-hmm. was, like, like a latter priority.
0: Yeah, and we saw in Adachi's story that, you know, he wasn't that interested in Sunday originally, because, like, to him, like, the real attraction was, like, the rental manga from Gekiga Manga Creators, you know, on his rental shop, that, you know... They he would could submit like uh, manga drawings to them, and then like they would, if their like letter or drawing got published, they could receive like a hand drawn picture from the artist. So, like, that's what he was really obsessed with when he was in elementary school. And then when you know Sunday came out, you know, there were just other magazines that were like really turning heads, you know, like Calm and stuff like that. So You know, it's it's interesting, but Sunday eventually would grow its reputation like in the 70s. Like as Takashi would mention, they had series from Umez and George Akiyama and Shinji Mishishima. And that's where Sunday was like really starting to turn heads. So it's, it's super interesting. I also like seeing that Adachi did also learn a lot of his uh, manga skills from Shitari Shinomori's Ultimate Manga Handbook, which I I do see referenced a lot as like a book that a lot of manga readers really learned from, from that generation. What a god. Oh, yeah. Not only is he the most prolific manga artist of all time, comics artist of all time, really, but he also inspired generations of talent through his
3: i love that that when they they show off his book you know the ultimate manga Hmm. handbook like adachi's talking about what's a draft what's a storyboard what's a deadline and then like he's still (laughs) and it it says on the side i still don't i still struggle with this one i still struggle i still struggle to understand that one Uh (laughs) adachi's sense of humor just shines on through and it's no wonder that he's been around so long so yeah and we could talk about how Takahashi almost ended up in Jump. Good thing they think.
0: Yeah, no. <laughs> I think it was Torish. It looked like she was drawing Torishima when he was saying, oh like, oh, God. a very popular, famous manga editor reviewed my work, but it didn't go anywhere. kind of <laughs> <It> does look <laughs> it's like so, Torishima. so funny, the thing that Torishima passed on Takahashi. <laughs>
2: Torishima just looks at his lair and is like, oh, I effed up here. Yeah. (laughs) My bad, (laughs) fam.
0: Maybe he made up for it by discovering Toriyama. (laughs) It's (laughs) (laughs) time-wise. Yeah, it's just such a fascinating, like, history of manga fan culture at the time. And also, like, the development of these creators as artists. And, yeah, like, just their parallel journeys that ultimately end up intersecting. Just so fascinating to just read. And especially, like, I love the motif of, like, the star that Adachi notices that is, like, the signal of, like, his eventual fated meeting to Takashi, which is a great recurring motif as he's, like, going through every part of the story and calling back to this star that, oh, this is a single. Single of, like, when I will meet, like, his utter, like, co talent. That is going to be a lifelong friend and rival in this, like, save magazine.
3: Mm, Yeah, it's true. True. All right, Viz, you need need to give us some more Adachi.
2: Where's the mix, Viz? Yeah, you know,
0: if there was a chance of any series, you would think it'd be mixed, but I guess the anime didn't attract enough enthusiasm, so I don't know.
2: I'm going to go cry in the corner.
0: Yeah, no, it's a shame. We We must go
1: deeper and older. And get touched.
0: I mean, we should get touched. Touch is a manga classic, a seminal, uh, informative work that, you know, probably should be made available to be read officially, but I don't know. If they'll take the chance on it, unfortunately. Yeah. Also, man,
2: the, the cover for My Sweet Sunday is so good. Yeah. Also, I, I love that it's in color too. It's
0: it's yeah. Perfect. No, I appreciate that. There, are a lot of these pages are in color, which is really nice. But yeah, the it's also fun looking at the My Sweet Sunday cover and seeing that. Wow, Adachi has like twice as many series represented as Takahashi in this, just because he's done so many works in the same amount of time that Takahashi has done like her like, four big works for Sunday at, at this point when this was published.
3: Yeah, yeah. And she, at the time, this was, what,
0: 2009, I think? Yeah, Yasha yep. had just ended a few months before, yeah, and okay, Rene yeah. hadn't started yet.
3: Yeah, because, like, Takahashi did mention that I'm still thinking about what I want to do next. Mm-hmm. So, oh, Nijiiro Togorashi, I forgot about that. You know, if there's, there's a work that they need, they could get that. That's fairly short so Mm. and it just got a stage play recently so that's
0: yeah that's what i was thinking of because i'm like oh it had something in the works recently yeah Yeah. stage play adachi just needs to get one of his works he had like a anime that like really hits like it's like really talked about and then maybe we'll get something again but i don't
3: know
0: or biz can just take a chance on like an older title of his but i mean we are seeing more chances taken on older titles from established creators. You know, if like Orochi can get published, and you know, Kazuo Omez might have more, you know, of an attraction uh for the same like you know, type of acclaimed horror mangaka in the same way, you know, Ito is. And Drifting Classroom is also fairly popular well-regarded series but you know if we can take a chance at classics like that i mean surely you could also try and put some effort into some of adachi's older work too but of course like yeah it'll have to probably be a shorter work because even orochi it's like only a six volume series
2: I did find amusing that like Takahashi brings up Ono I'm like, oh hey, that's coming out in a few months. Yeah, good and timing, a guys. Opportunity
0: for Viz not to promote it at the back of the book. It's not one of the promotions that they put at the back of this volume, you know. Oh, you know, missed I didn't opportunity. Even check what are the promotions? It's it's number five in Urusei, say and Mermaid. So you know, okay, uh, yeah. other concurrent Takahashi publications. Which makes sense, but yeah, you know, missed opportunity did not also promoting that.
3: I guess we should transfer. We've already talked about the back of the book. I guess we could work our way backwards, or just head to. the Yeah,
0: <laughs> I mean, it's also interesting to you know talk about this because it is kind of like the odd story out in the collection in terms of like the other stories are. Fiction pieces that are all focused around a horror team or concept this is much an autobiographical piece I would say it is loosely thematically connected in the overall team of the stories of like it the stories being about the ways in which we affect each other's lives like if, if we were to prescribe and that to be the overarching theme of the book and between the collection of stories the my Sunday does fit into that but in terms of like the direction of the story like the other stories focus on kind of like more negative consequences of the way we affect the others and then the positive as well but like the uh My Street Sunday is more and much, you know, hey, Takashi and Hirachi, whether they knew it or not for so long, they were like influencing each other and they were all co- connected through various similar things that, you know, was a shared culture between them that inspired them growing up as manga artists before they met. But uh yeah, like it's it's an interesting choice to put the story in this book but i think it does fit in with it in terms of like kind of the broad idea of like the way in which we can affect another person it's like for good or for ill.
2: definitely better messaging than a uh, module and dinner
0: Yeah, no. (laughs) Better messaging than a a collection of stories about a middle-aged elderly men wanting to hook up with younger women to the point of one story being about a guy who's trying to kill his wife to hook up with another woman. Viz, you can just skip that collection. We don't need that one. You know, that one. (laughs) That one's kind of a mess. Not all the stories are terrible, but like... uh, you know, there are a lot of stories where, like, eh, it's kind of gross, this character, how this character's acting. But, yeah, no, I mean, we can work our way back uh, to the earlier stories, and I guess, do we just want to go through them in order from the titular came the Mirror story? or Yeah, think? sure. Yeah. That's yeah, true. I mean, it is interesting because the way the stories are arranged for, like, the five fictional Uh, one-shots, is that they are all arranged in, you know, kind of descending chronological order. Like, we're kind of starting with the newest story and working our way back to the oldest. Over a period of, like, 15 years, Wit Cat published in 1999 and Came the Mirror published in 2014. And it's interesting to kind of read them that way, because you're kind of seeing Takashi's art like, in its reverse progression of, like, style. So you're kind of seeing like more of the the Renee, more like angular, smaller faces, smaller eyes style to like the kind of early Inuyasha where it's like it's still more of a roundness to her faces and drawings, like bigger eyes. And it's kind of interesting to work our way back in terms of like the development and the progression of her style in that way. So I I found that interesting.
1: Yeah. Even like the technology used in the and the chapters as well progressively yeah. got gets-
0: reflection of like the times for sure yeah.
3: but <laughs> yeah i actually hadn't thought about that until you said that like well it was something i kind of innately noticed but like there's still so like there's still so much takahashi that i was just like okay it didn't feel like some other artists where you see their older work and you're like that can't be that person that's right. totally different
0: no <laughs> but, it's like, not as reading- dramatic
3: Yeah, but reading through this, I never got, I was like, okay, that's just Takahashi. But now that I'm flipping through it, yeah, yeah, I can definitely see the market kind of like eras as, Mm. you know, like, especially with uh, Came to Mirror, which, yeah, Rene, you know, Mao, obviously that's around the, you know, same period, so.
2: Yeah, I think the biggest difference for me was like jumping from Thousand Faces to Lovely Flower. Mm-hmm. Especially with yeah. how big that jump was, because yeah. initially I didn't bother looking at the years of when they were published in the contents, and I was like, "Wait, this looks like old Takahashi.
0: Where's my shiny new Takahashi?" <laughs> yeah, it's like a seven-year jump between Thousand Faces to Lovely Flowers, and it is crazy. Yeah, like from that's like mid Inuyasha era to like early Renee era. Just how much like her style changed, even just that dint of time which was lovely flower never been like published in a physical volume before i don't know if these stories have been published in physical collections also before i think sweet sunday probably was and i the ones of these that i had read i just read like isolated fan translated so i can't really remember if like these have been published in previous collections i don't think they have i think this was like the because this was the first like rumic world book that came out in like 20 years but since like some of these were big comic stories perhaps lovely flower could have been in one of those but i don't think so Hmm. okay Mm.
3: okay um oh one thing that stuck out to me with uh Kaim de is the protagonist names, Nana Akae and uh Eito Izumida, seven and eight. <laughs> which <laughs> Um I I don't know if that has any bearing to anything, but <laughs> I just found it interesting. <laughs>
1: seven eight nine <laughs> <laughs> hmm,
0: Math with Takahashi. Uh, yeah, I wonder if there is like a significance to the names. I mean seven and eight. Add up to 15, which is both of their ages. That's, like, the immediate thing. But, like, otherwise... 7 is the month? July? 8? Is it... It's not really referencing the period of days, because it's in over 9 days that yeah. the story takes place. So... Yeah, I wonder.
3: So, I mean, but overall, like, before I read My Sweet Sunday, this was probably my favorite story. Yeah. Because, like, I think... I think I like Takahashi a little bit more when she's doing the supernatural sort of horror versus humor. Though, that being said, I think Rama's hilarious. But, like, right. yeah, I think I definitely prefer this.
0: Yeah, and I also think that this is the strongest in concept and in how it co- relates to its team. Because I guess let's describe the premise of this is that in Came the Mirror, the idea is that people are randomly assigned a mirror that shows up in the palm of their hand. It appears on them at random and no one can see the mirror on another person, but the person with the mirror can see the ugliness within other people, which takes the form of monstrous distortions on their faces and bodies. And they can hold the mirror up to those People and they can use it to exorcise the horrors these monsters out of them that are inhabiting their bodies and souls. And since the monsters aren't very big or very strong, they can stomp them dead. However, the process of exorcism involves the monsters, after being destroyed, like traveling through the person's body who has the mirror, through them and out the mirror to sanctify them. Purify them. And having those monsters inside you is a nauseating sensation. But it is just a societal expectation that people who have the mirrors are responsible for cleansing these horrors. And you're expected to fulfill that obligation. And so the story is about, you know, just one day this kid, Ato who is like going to cram school. He has a big prep test. Like, he just randomly gets killed by a guy who has been possessed by horrors. And he thinks to himself, like, oh, man, like, this is my fault for not doing my job. But then he gets uh, revived, like, nine days earlier. And he meets another girl who has the mirror. And she reveals that, you know, she had also previously been killed. And the reason why is because she outed her creep middle school teacher who was like taking pictures of girls changing in their school locker room with a hidden camera. And after she like exposed him, he stalked and killed her. And then she got revived and she just tried to avoid the route where he had killed her at. And he, she thought she was successful in that, but then he ended up trying to attack her on the day of the test. And he was a casualty, of, like, his rampage, and so they work together to basically try and figure out a way to find this guy and, like, exercise the horrors out of him in an effort to, like, prevent either of them getting killed again, which they do succeed at, but then later on, they realize that this guy is killed multiple times before even with the horrors like taken out of him multiple times and so he comes to attack them again like all distorted and monsters again and they barely succeed in exercising the horrors out of him but he like explodes into just this mass of monsters that just like crowdle around them and it's just too much for them alone to stop like they collapse and we see them hospitalized afterwards, like with IVs attached to them. Like Nana's wearing a necklace. So like they they were like on the cusp, they were like seriously dying to this. Uh, but the story ends with them like kind of just reflecting, like, you know, it was just too much for us alone to just stomp out all the horrors, all this bad stuff. But, you know, it only could be done with other people, other passersby, like came in and like helped them out in you know taking care of their responsibility and basically the entire kind of metaphor of the mirror in the story is like being burdened with knowing that something bad is happening like there's something wrong with another person and then trying your best to like diffuse and then resolve the situation and then just having to keep having that burden of like you're it's up to you to deal with this problem that oftentimes is, like, just too much for you to handle. And you need help with that. You can't do these things alone. Like, you can't deal with, like, all the really horrible things in the world alone. You can't just put that on your shoulder. It can, like, seriously hurt you. And that's kind of the case here, is, like, in the end, like, Nana and Ato try to... Take care of this guy himself, but like this guy is like a consistent problem. Like, even before he attacked Nana, he attacked and murdered other girls. Like, he is not the kind of someone who they could just deal with on their own. He's like a problem that society at large needs to come together and kind of grapple with and deal with and like help these kids finish the job. And I think it's like a very important point that, like, the mirror revives everyone on age eighteen. That kind of touches upon something else like Takashi specifically so trying to point out. It's like, you know, these are kids like being tasked with this responsibility of having to deal with this uncomfortable situation with trying to deal with like this creep teacher who is like praying and assaulting girls. And they need help from adults, but like they are expected just because they're the ones with the mirror and can see the badness in this guy to deal with the situation themselves and at the end of the story we are seeing notably on the bridge it is adults who are coming in after like these kids have tried their best and who are like stomping out all the evils and who take care of like finishing off all these horrors and they can only do that with the help of those people it's really about like you know what burden responsibility is often placed on people who are see that there's a problem But, like, they need help. They need other people to believe in them and be able to trust that they can see what they see and take care of it with them. Because, yeah, I mean, it's another important point that you can only see the horrors, like, if you have the mirror. And these other passers-by... Like, we aren't given a temptation, they're also people with mirrors. They're just people who, like, saw that what they were trying to do, understood what they were trying to do, and then just came to help, whether they could see them or not. And it's just important to just be able to extend that trust to people who are, like, trying to deal with a problem and difficult situation, especially young people, and lend them to trust and lend them that support and help. And I think that's a very clever metaphor that Takashi came up with through this mirror and the monster motif in terms of like just the burden that we place uh especially on young people and trying to, you know, have them deal with their problems by themselves and like not realizing kind of the damaging consequences that I can have on them and just that need to be able to share that burden with other people and just resolve those problems together. So yeah, I thought that's it was very well articulated. And It was also very relevant social commentary because there was a high profile case of a a school teacher who was preying on uh, girls with a hidden camera in a locker room that happened and was reported like 10 days before the story was published in Japan. So, wow. Jesus, it was wow. very, I don't think Takashi drew the story in reaction to that, but it was very, uh, it's a really serendipitous timing when I realized that, oh crap, this came out around the same time as that incident. So, yeah, no, it's, it's very relevant social commentary and I think very thoughtfully handled.
2: Yeah, I think this is easily the strongest, like, themed story in the collection, and also in terms of pacing where, like, it feels like it, is able to tell the story more naturally to its endpoint where a lot of the other ones I think just like kinda get to the end and then have a punchline and then that's over.
1: Yeah. yeah, it's kind of abrupt. Yeah. The other ones. I think um uh like adding up a-, a bit to what Lum was talking about, uh I think what made the the thematic impact like really land was the fact that the the burdens that uh the two kids are shouldering, they're both like physical and emotional yeah and to be able to confide in an adult uh usually kids have trouble with that um they either have trouble like expressing their emotions or uh going out of their way to like look look to to adults to help towards adults to help because uh they either they either have like a like a, a rebellious streak, or they want to be independent, and they want to they they want to be so eager to prove to the world that like oh I am I am old enough to take care of myself, or I am I'm, I'm capable of doing all of this on my own. But then to realize that there are times you're going to need help, uh, and that there's no shame in really like asking for it. Uh, I think that's a that's a really valuable lesson to to show to to a yeah. younger audience. Well, even well not that this was aimed at a younger audience, but if they happen to come across this, like it's a good message.
0: Yeah. I mean, yeah, especially like not just like being able to ask for help, but also like seeing that someone is in trouble and going out of your way and recognizing they need help and joining in to do the right thing. That's why I think the scene at the bridge is like, so like pointed, just like the passers by will come in and like are exercising the demons. Uh Like, in their place. Like, I think that is such an important point, especially because like the passers by we see, they look like adults. They're like adults who are seeing these kids are having trouble doing this on their own. They all come in to help them share, alleviate that burden. And basically that pretty much saves their lives. Cause like they, <laughs> they are, these kids are still hospitalized after this. Like they underwent severe physical uh anguish in dealing with the situation to say nothing about a trauma, but yeah, no, it's, it's very thoughtfully considered by Takashi of like, just, you know, when you're seeing someone in trouble, you should go out of your way. You should reach out to them and you should like help them.
1: Yeah. Like these kids were basically forced into being like empaths and like experiencing other people's like, uh, like suffering, I guess. And like the the stuff that they repress. Uh, but then, uh, what makes it moving at the end is that, like oh, these people aren't like aren't being forced at all into into that, and they're they're willingly like deciding like, hey, I'm gonna help with that like i'm gonna i'm i'm gonna i'm gonna also i'm gonna also empathize and like make sure that you don't go through this on your own mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
3: yeah, I mean, yeah, definitely agree with you guys in the sense that that this one just feels like a fully actualized story like i don't i wouldn't be opposed to more of it but as it is it doesn't feel like there's more story to be told or i don't feel dissatisfied with how it what how it um all ended i mean the yeah. deeper message of the fact i mean and it even had a little bit of takashi humor in the fact that they were brought back to life and it was just like the, the offhanded comment from nana i believe was like i think it's some kind of childlike say uh child, labor, child law. labor law yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like it, it you know it 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 in a way it's kind of like it plays into what lum was saying and the idea of that you know these kids are shouldering this by themselves but since it's such an offhanded comment i couldn't help but just kind of chuckle at it a little bit
0: yeah it's definitely meant to be, <laughs> be cheeky for sure it's the absurdity that like oh there's this clause that like if a kid dies on the job doing this oh they they can get revived you know
2: <laughs> Also, whenever, they, like, they point their hands at, like, the, like, creatures, it just reminds me of, like, the wind tunnel. Yeah, true.
0: It's <laughs> true. It's like, yeah, they are sucking the monsters out of them and drawing it to themselves.
1: Uh, meanwhile, uh, when I read, uh, what is this shit called again? Revenge, uh, Doll. Revenge, Doll. Revenge Doll. Yeah, yeah I, fe- I felt like I read, I read something and, like, I was exactly back where I started.
0: <laughs> yeah, Revenge Doll doesn't I Revenged All is one that I have also read for and I remember really not liking it and that has not changed because I mean for one thing, the protagonist is just really awful. Just like the worst type of scumbag, selfish and spiteful, just a total awful jerk of a human being who like goes off his way to torture the people around him just out of pettiness and to the part where he's considering killing someone and in the end he is not punished he's like he has like this bleep glimmer of maybe like changing his ways and becoming a better person that is like completely dissipated by the end he has learned nothing and he's just the same scum and jerk that he was and but he's not punished either he's not punished and that's I think where the real and satisfying thing is is that you know we go through this entire story of just seeing just this terrible person just hurt the people around him and scheme to like hurt the people around him and at the end like sure you know this guy he, he's not working for the magazine anymore and who knows if he'll get work anymore but he, he's not really punished either He's just like kind of living, kind of lazily at his home, and he's still with the girlfriend. He he cursed, which is uh, really awful. Like I just feel so bad for that woman. Like she is like still with this guy and serving him like tea or coffee or whatever when he cursed her. It's like this just terrible, terrible. I just really, hate... yeah, she can do so much better. She really could.
2: He also just looks like drug dealer Maroku. He does. Uh,
0: yeah. D- <laughs> I guess yeah. Maroku if he got high and just had just a, a very different type of life. Oh my god. Oh yeah. Yeah.
3: I mean puffing using that wind tunnel to get some real puffin in. Oh but god. I, <laughs> I I will I will say though like yeah, he's an unrepentant awful human being. But I will say I like that at the end he got his own. He was the cause of his own downfall, right? <laughs> By putting so, the, the white the whiteout, yes. In, yeah. Actually,
0: in the end, he didn't lose anything though, because he was going to. The, lo- he was losing the series. No he no was going to kill someone. Yeah, like like what he lost is the chance to kill someone. Like no, he, there right. was no other downfall for him, you know. Like nothing else would have changed other than he would have killed this person. So if anything, he got spared, like being a murderer. Even though that's what he wanted to do. But, yeah, it's just like, yeah, it's...
2: He wasn't good enough to be light.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, seriously. It is kind of a Death note premise. So, I mean, we should kind of explain the premise of Revenge It All. Is The idea is that this 30 street old manga artist, you know, who had a big hit when he was starting out in this magazine, but in the 10 years since, has not really been able to come up with a follow-up and he has on his last chance in the last series and has been told to wrap it up in 10 chapters because it's not doing very really well he's not really putting his all or any effort into his work so that's not really making an appealing series to readers and he's just very bitter and resentful he thinks everyone's out to get him he thinks like the editor-in-chief who is like his former editor who he got replaced on his old series is out to get him out of like bad blood for like replacing him Anything he has it out for him. He thinks that like his young assistant, who he later fires, you know, is like rep- uh, kind of schemed against it because like he his series is replacing his, and he sp- his series is like sprung out of a one shot that he ran like while his series was on break due to his own fault because he got like hung over and late and behind, so that's why that one shot got published, but you know whatever like so he's resentful to those guys and he's also just you know spiteful to the people around him who are like not doing anything like he's, he's spiteful to his editor who, who like you know is just trying to give him advice but like he's like you know hates his they're not like taking his work seriously and then he he like hooks up with his like other assistant who's his like finisher of his work you know, just out of spite to spite, like, the, the young assistant, Mangaka. Because he knew that kid was into her. And so, he hooked up with her just to spite that kid. And now he's continuing to just sleep with her and, like, string her along. And then he ends up, you know, also kind of resenting her. Because she, she grinds her teeth when she sleeps or something. She criticizes Manga. Like, so... You know, he's just a total jerk to the people around him. But he receives, like, this doll that, from a fan of his old work. His old work was called Revenge Doll. And when because of that, like, the fan, like, oh, taught of him when it, he uncovered him while clearing out this attic or whatever. And the doll basically, you know, if you think of someone's name and you, like, blacken you fill out the eye on the doll, and the doll has three eyes, like, that person can be cursed. And if you fill out, like, the big eye, you can, like, curse someone to death, essentially. And so he uses, like, the first eye curse on his uh, finisher assistant. And, like, he curses her to get, like, a big sty in her eye. And then he cursed with the second eye his... Uh, editor and that caused him to get into a t- car accident immediately after he picked up his pages for a deadline and the beca- the editor in chief forced that poor editor to deliver the pages before going to the hospital anyway which was uh, just terrible and like now that guy has like serious withdrawals wearing a neck brace and now he's thinking of using a third eye to kill someone and he's thinking he's going to kill his editor the editor-in-chief for, you know, canceling his series. But then the editor-in-chief visits him one night and tells him that he thinks that he doesn't have long to live and just wants him to listen to his, like, last request of, like, just putting his all into the last chapters of the series. So he ends up doing that, and the doll, like, he, you know, gets creeped out about it because, like, his uh, assistant tries to throw it away, but it then keeps coming back and then he tries to keep throwing it away. And so he gets creeped out of like using it and the idea of using it. So then he just actually does put effort into his series again. And things seem to be going better. Like, you know, everyone is happier with him and he's happier. And he's, it seems like he's changed his ways. But then when he finds out that, you know, he is getting let go from the magazine after all, even though the series has improved and stuff, you know, he becomes resentful of his youngest assistant all over again, and he's like, "Okay, I'm going to use the doll to kill this kid after all." And he blacks out the eye, or he tries to black out the eye, but he gets into conflict with his other assistant, and instead, accidentally uses white out instead, and that erases all the co- curses and destroys the doll. And so, yeah, it just ends with him, like you know, the he's just fired. And the new series is published. The editor chief just had a stomach ulcer, so he's fine. So, you know, that was the funniest part to me. <laughs> it was like, was like just oh, yeah, casually, this is stomach ulcer, guys. Just how casually he says it, yeah. But yeah, like, and that's the thing about the story is that this is a story about a guy who just did all these awful things to the people around him, and he just gets off consequence-free, really. Like again, like the the thing like. He, there was no down, the downfall he had is just all due to his own actions uh, before even using the doll. It was just not putting effort into a series and just treating the people around him so badly that no one wants to work with him anymore. And like, really, he just was spared almost by. ...becoming a mutterer by, like, the do- ...by making the mistake of, like, whiting out the eyes on the doll. So, I'm glad that all the people that he cursed... ...or was trying to curse was spared, like, you know... ...the terrible fates that, that he was, like, trying to inflict upon them. But, like, he himself is not really punished. He's just, like, lying lazily at his, uh, studio and i don't know if we'll get more work i don't know what's gonna happen but like you know it's just it's not a very cathartic satisfying punishment for this character and this character is not grown or changed as a better person or anything so it's kind of very frustrating especially because as mentioned before the female assistant is still living with this guy even though he cursed her and she knows he cursed her which is also frustrating because that he just did an awful thing to her.
2: So dump that yeah. piece of shit. Go, go find someone else.
0: Seriously. So overall, you know, this still fits into the overall teens we were discussing about, about the ways in which, you know, we, our actions affect others, uh, the burdens we place upon others, because, like, this guy's literally placing curses upon others. Much like how it was discussed, like, using the mirror in the previous story, it felt like a curse placed upon those kids. Like, in this story, like, yeah, literally the protagonist is placing curses upon others. And it's like, you know... Seriously, through the course of his actions like affecting their lives for the worse or just through his own like negligence unintentionally affecting their lives in different ways like the young assistant because he was so because like he got hungover like he gave the young assistants a chance to get his one shot published and then get his series published so it ties in into those broader themes in a way that I appreciate with the other series in collection but as the story in of itself is very frustrating.
2: Yeah, because it's like very obvious you're supposed to not like him from the outset, but like there's no payoff to it. You wanna see him like get punished, and it never happens. Yeah. Yeah, that shit's <laughs> fine. How do you guys feel about uh the star has a thousand faces?
3: I I was my least favorite one. Mm. It just felt very convoluted for no reason really. <laughs> this is one <laughs>
0: yeah, it's predicated kind on of like some very Slim C, or, like, very, like, melodramatized, dramatized misunderstanding of, like, the main protagonist, who's, like, the star actress, thinks she's killed, like, her showrunner just after, like, he kind of ribs her about, like, her crush over her co-star who, you know, is outed as, like, loving, like, you know, a different woman, a bustier woman, and so, she, you know, they're at a bar, and she, like, pushes his own, and she thinks that he's sh- she broke his neck, and so she runs off into the countryside before they finish filming the final episode to like kill herself uh, off by throwing her off herself off a cliff or whatever. And ultimately, she can't like bring herself to do it, uh, and she ends up like staying in an inn where like the son of the innkeeper is like a huge fan of hers, and like all these posters in a room or stuff. And so he ends up calling the studio and letting them know that she's there, and so then like everyone. Comes to the inn to film the final scene, just super impromptu, and they manage to film the scene and get it on broadcast in time somehow. See the thing that really kind of made me taken aback by the progression of the story here is like uh, the final sequence of events of like the other actors and the crew like coming to the end and just filming the final scene this happens like super abruptly and it's also like she just somehow gets into the swing of like doing the scene like because at first it seems like oh is it a dream sequence but then no it actually is happening and yeah, that confused me at first. <laughs>
2: For- yeah, I thought I was like missing a page or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah, that's what it
0: was. I was like,
3: "What is this really happening?" And then when I finished it, I was just like, "Oh, that really did just happen." Oh, okay. And you
0: have to wonder the logistics of this. Like, did the does the location match? Does the like setting, imagine like I you know, it is made a point of she memorized the lines or whatever, but still, like, she just immediately gets in the swing. It just feels like there's a whole lot of set, a whole lot of work goes into filming a scene of a TV show in, in terms of just sheer setup. That it's like crazy to imagine how this could have been done, just spur of the moment. Yeah, those. fix it in the magical land of post. Yeah, and also like, no, see that's the other thing is that this is hap they're filming the scene literally the day this episode is supposed to air and just hours before it's set to air and you're left wondering how are they supposed to edit this footage into the final episode before broadcast and somehow that's what happens but like timeline wise it is so confusing like how they so could made it, would, it work yeah
3: exactly it's just super convoluted and super contrived and it's yeah. not the payoff in the end is in it being a badum, you know a, a rim shot just
1: yeah. <laughs> it's crazy because like the whole the, the name of it is the star has a thousand faces mm. and she used one she didn't <laughs> she, yeah she didn't even use it because she had the mask on for half of it On the
2: bright side, we did get that one panel of Sister Angela. No, yeah, and Kikyo, too,
0: I guess, is one of her personas. So that was
3: a fun joke. I I did like, you know, seeing some of the, um, yeah, some of the other Takashi works represented. And,
0: Mm -hmm. like... Yeah, I do think those other characters are from other one-shots, too. So, yeah, that's that's pretty clever. But, yeah, no, in terms of, like, the overall storytelling of this, it just... The resolution was just very all over the place and just didn't super work connectively in terms of how it connects with the overall team. This is another one that fits in pretty well. Cause like literally this woman by like kind of going a wall on the job, like that, affects the entire production team and so they're all scrambling to try and find where she is and she's reflecting on oh like my meeting these different people kind of shaping the actress I came to be like my connection to these people you know affected me as a person what kind of person I grew into being and then also her interacting with a fan who is like someone who's like very inspired very in love with her work is another reflection of like hey this is an impact that she as an actress has had on this person and so, yeah, like, in terms of, like, the overall message and in, in terms of, like, relating to the other sorts of, like, hey, how do we affect other people and influence, make influence on their lives, you know, this is fits into it very well in terms of the other uh, idea of, like, uh, placing burdens on other people's interactions, like, this fits into that pretty well, but, like, how she kind of causes the production to scramble through, like, again, just Going a wall before they film the final scene and then all coming together at the end to kind of, you know, connect her and reassure her that everything's going to be okay. But yeah, just in terms of like the actual like progression of the story, it's just very slip shot it, it like takashi yeah. does take a lot of cheats and just saying oh it, it just worked out but uh when like logistically you are left thinking well how how could this have possibly <laughs> happened in this amount of time
3: yeah <laughs> i mean i will say you know the scene with um doing the chonoichi chin that that that, that made me laugh <laughs> like when the cops showed up and they're like you know they're looking for like it's implied that like she commit. they're looking for a woman who murdered somebody which mm. isn't her since obviously the guy is alive but she thinks she did so yeah. yeah they show up and they say they recognize her and she runs and then you know and she does like this she like juts out her chin and she's like no you got the wrong girl and she runs <laughs> <Yeah>. for it <laughs> and like the, the you know the cop is kind of like oh it's not her I like her i'm a huge fan and then <laughs> i like i did like that that no way yeah,
1: that jaw's way too big yeah, that's a good <laughs> gag.
3: I, I did like that gag but yeah otherwise i uh, wasn't a fan of this one
1: mm-hmm.
3: yeah it was a mess mm-hmm. <laughs> so but i mean how do we feel about lovely flower
1: i actually kind of dig that one lovely
0: flower is Probably my favorite story in the collection because I really love the vibes and the mystery of it. And I thought that it ended up having a very clever kind of resolution. And, uh, yeah, like I, so the premise of this one is that this woman is like see, being kind of being like harassed with like spam emails from a troll slash stalker. And at the same time, everywhere she goes, she's seeing like this red, flower red yellow flower everywhere that she thinks smells awful but everyone around her all her friends everyone she meets seems to really love and they all say they got it from this guy who like the image that they described her changes from person to person and it all sounds like each of the people she's talking to each of the women she's talking to describing this guy is describing the kind of like, person they are attracted to and want to sleep with. And so, eventually, she pieces together that the person they're describing is all the same guy, and he's leading these flowers as an attempt to harass her, and also to, like, kind of ultimately view her with the aroma and fragrance of the flowers. And this guy... Turns out to be like someone who was a co-worker of her husband's and had actually attended a lot of different like events with her, like she, he, they were attended a class, a seminar with her, like they were at her wedding, but she didn't, she never recognized him. She never like paid him any attention or noticed him. And so that's why he like came up with this scheme to engineer these flowers that would use pheromones to attract w- like women and specifically like kind of manipulate like their visual cortex by giving them an illusion most pleasing to them. And so it worked with all the other women in terms of making them see the person they're most attracted to. And he's trying to use it on her, but it doesn't work on her. Like when he tries to use it on himself in front of her, he's just like a horrible, like flower-headed monster. And so... He's like, who the fuck are you? (laughs) (laughs) Who's that flower mom? (laughs) Stop. (laughs) And so he kind of ends up runs off realizing that she is not working on her and her husband also ends up coming home at that moment and kind of revealing who he is to her. And then they basic- basically it turns out that the reason it didn't infect her is because she became pre- she was pregnant and the hormones changed her sense of smell. So the pheromones didn't affect her in the same way. So yeah. Like this was a good kind of creepy mystery story with this imagery of like this woman being kind of stalked and harassed and like gaslit of like feeling like every like everyone's saying oh these flowers smell so wonderful and they were given to me by such a handsome guy and then she's like smelling these flowers like they smell just awful to her so repulsive she feels like she could suffocate and die like being around them she has to wear a mask like when interacting with them and then like
1: yeah ultimately uh, can I can I side real quick yeah. That's how I felt when everyone said they really loved the Shinjuku art in JJK. I was just like, where am I?
2: <laughs> Sometimes it's okay to be wrong, Marriott. Yeah. It's okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it <is wrong. laughs> okay
3: my uh, personal nightmare uh, that's gonna be me when Chainsaw Man starts airing anyway yes yes um, <laughs> going on <laughs> sorry 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 <laughs> uh, yeah I I did like I will admit I was kind of mm, not, I wouldn't say wary but like I don't know what I want to say about this one I wouldn't say I didn't like it but the twist at the end saved it for me because I felt like the premise was a little bit weak for me I don't know like
0: oh, i thought
3: it was as well. it just it wasn't really hooking my attention but then i will mm-hmm. like i do like this in comparison to the story before it. i do like the ending like wraps up everything really like um satisfactorily for me yeah like I, I will say that much but like the story itself just wasn't hooking me the way that like mirror did
2: yeah so i think i have the opposite problem where like it was like intriguing me up until the ending where it kind of just
0: like quickly ends that's fair. Yeah, I mean, I th- I think, like, the big reveal imagery at the end of, like, him having the flower head was very good. And I think, like, the ending kind of resolved decently. I mean, I would have liked this guy to have been, like, outright punished. But I think, like, the ironic kind of musing of, like, oh, this guy, you know, he was trying to manipulate me through using these pheromones. But it was him himself lost in the illusion, the fantasy of his own flowers. So, See that—that's the punishment—is what I really want
2: out of yeah. it. I think, and because it's not there, it's not a side. I can get
0: any. that, but like in this case, like you know, the protagonist, the woman, is fine at the end. Like she, and presumably, is not going to be in danger of this guy again because he gave up and moved away. So I wasn't as bothered by it as the like lack of catharsis in revenge. at All where like you know the guy is not punished for being horrible, and there are, like, other people who he's affected that are still in his life, with the, like, female ancestors. But, yeah. No, and in terms, of, again, to relating to the overall team of the story, like, this is how, like, the ways in which we influence, uh, or affect each other's life, like, this, the woman did not recognize or realize this guy was even a part of her life, and then trying to make her recognize him, like he really was causing her a lot of anxiety and pain and suffering. Uh, So I thought that was an interesting angle uh, and an interesting fit into the overall team of the stories. And yeah, I thought that it was just in general like a very interesting, suspenseful read, and I thought it was very funny. Like some of the girl, some of the men that the girls thought Usugi looked like. Like one girl thought he looked like Nick Cage, yes, <laughs> and David Beckham. <laughs> it's Pretty wild, pretty funny. And one girl, the one girl horny for Nick Cage, is very funny to me. The Because the idea is that they're all... Hor- like, that. they see the person they're most horny for, right? So that's very funny. Yeah.
3: Yes, that, that, that got me laughing a lot, when they were all, like, different people. I mean, I guess at that point, that's when I was, like, a little bit more interested in what's going on. Okay, why are they all seeing different people? And, like, I just love... I love when manga name drops, like, um... yeah real people like foreign especially foreign celebrities like that oh yeah like i I really love it when manga does that because then it feels like it feels less insular you know a lot of times you're reading manga unless you're into when you're into manga you don't think about it so much but it feels very insular until like somebody drops nick cage and you're like oh right this is a product (laughs) of the world
0: (laughs) oh my god this came out in 2003 when was wicker man nick cage's wicker man Ah, uh, this is years before that, but still. What movie was this girl like super in love with? National oh, Treasure? My, no, Knight Rider was two thousand four, wasn't it? Oh, God. Uh, but National Treasure might have been in it then. I think that might have been the most recent.
1: Oh God. We're gonna steal the Rafflesia of Independence.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
3: okay, so. I guess next up is, unless we have something else we want to say, next up is we're we're going to Garfield and Friends.
1: Let's go to Ranma one half! (laughs) 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 Ranma one cat. Yes! Yes, (laughs) thank you Uh, Vila.
0: There is only one cat too. This guy, only one of his arms is turned into a cat. So, yeah. But, yeah, like we kind of mentioned before, this has very Ranma-y vibes in terms of the main protagonist's you know he's also a martial artist but like he's this big fear of cats because when he was a kid his like grandma was like always telling him that cats are not to be trusted or whatever and so that kind of put a strain on his relationship with his childhood friend Miwa because you know she has a pet cat called uh Torajio that's oh, well, even older than her. She's been a long time pet of hers, and you know when they were kids, like he climbed up a tree to get away from her and Torchia. because he was scared kind of Gia, and he sh- fell off the tree and broke his like arm. And ever since then, even though his arm's healed now, fine now. Like he, there's been a lot of distance between him and Mia over the incident, and she kind of. Events to him, about him, to Torchio. And then just one day, like, Torchio, like, attacks him, and, like, he kind of hurts his arm before, like, disappearing. And basically, he sees a vision of him in his sleep the next night, of like, saying that he's gonna coerce him and take over his body. And sure enough, like, his left arm becomes a cat arm. And so, he and Miwach have to, like, figure out how to kind of undo the curse and figure out what ha- and where Turchio went and eventually he kind of loses patience whether because there are like misunderstandings in which you know people think they're close and you know they're misunderstanding like she thinks that he hates her and he thinks she hates him and eventually she kind of confesses that she thinks the reason that Torgia cursed him was that you know, she hated him and she rented to Torchia about that. And he cleared up that, oh well, you know, I didn't see you want to see you back then when we were kids after the accident. Uh just because Torchia was at you. I actually, I did want to see you, and I never really hated you. And so then that makes her reflect that you no, know, she never really talked about how much she hated True to, to Torchio. She talked about how much she liked him and shows she kind of breaks down. And then he notices it comes back to console her with his own hand and not Torchio's hand. And yeah, like they kind of make amends. And you think, like, the reason that Torchio Cursed him was because, oh, he wanted to mend their relationship after all this time. But no, the real reason, the twist is that he was just excited for his 28th birthday present. He knew that he wasn't going to live long enough to get it. So uh, basically, <laughs> that's the resolution is that that passes and his arms back to normal. But like, yeah, now both shoot and me have kind of repaired the relationship and our friends again.
2: I love how the buff the truth uh, box is like in a blood
0: splattered yeah. like uh, border. Yeah, it's like setting up like oh, it's even more horrifying re- truth about why Torchio cursed him. It's like no, it's actually such a mundane, silly reason. <laughs> Superficial, Yeah, it, it really reason. like
3: it just reflects the age of Rama. Just like it feels, I I could feel this being like a, a filler episode of Rama anime or something. Yeah, it like, is
0: totally <laughs> a Rama type gag for sure. This could have been a Rama. Sorry, I totally could have believed it, especially with like the dynamic between the leads. Like it's so Rama Nakane.
3: Yes, yes, especially when they're like he's like. I mean, when the when Torachio breaks his arm when he's in high school. He's like, you know, she's she's apologizing, and he's like, no, nah, it wasn't your fault this time. He's like, excuse yeah. me, but you were the one that fell out the tree. <laughs> and, like, I just said, ah, oh, this is Rama and Akane. <laughs> yeah,
0: even <laughs> her expressions, like, really feel Akane as her, like, very much in this era of Takashi's art that, like, characterized late Rama, early Inuyasha to me, uh, in terms of her exp- facial uh, expressions her eyes like yeah they very much resemble uh like how i would imagine Connie to react in this kind of situation
3: yeah 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 especially like at the beginning where like her classmates would talk about how cute he is and she just rolled her eyes and like the, yeah. this way that just was very rama-ish like uh, I I got, like, a whole nostalgia vibe from just this whole thing, just... Yeah. um, And especially just that, how easily they bought the story
1: <laughs> about mm-hmm.
3: how YA suddenly has a cat arm. Like, that also felt very... Because one thing about Ranma, and I guess Takashi's humor in general, is it's very dry. Like, you mm-hmm. don't get the whole... um. Sukomi and Bokeh thing where like people were screaming about how ridiculous something is everybody just kind of rolls with things <laughs> and that in and of itself is what is funny
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. it really does feel like oh uh, like they really accept this as part of their daily life now like yeah you know it's just the Takashi style of like in the in the world like the absurd and the mundane coexist side by
1: side exactly yeah it's pretty it was a pretty satisfying story
2: Hmm,
0: very charming. But, yeah, I mean, we already talked about Sweet Sunday, so I guess, are there any other overall thoughts? So I guess I, in terms of, like, again, thematic uh, relevance to the other ones, this is another one of, like, communication problems causing a rift between our two leads here. They're not realizing how they really felt about each other and how they were affecting each other in terms of, like, they're keeping silent and keeping their distance from one another. And Which, leading to Torchio, like, you know, <laughs> sensibly he has the selfish reason, but the the reason imagined of, like, you know, him bringing them together again after driving them apart when they were kids fulfills the intended purpose of, like, yeah, and communicating with each other, and, like, they realize, like, oh, they really do mean something to each other, you know? And so yeah, I think uh, it fits in pretty well with the the teams of the other stories too in terms of like thinking about like the ways in which we affect other people and how our actions influence and are interpreted and affect other people. Yeah, I, I'd
3: agree with that. Like um, and of course, it ties into a horror thing with the quasi transformation, yeah. and
0: yeah, that is a very horror scene. Even though the rest of it is played for comedy, like it is yeah. a very bottom horror moment. And, like when she, the grandmother expression when she's saying "cats are unforgiving," like that's another like horror image that's played very well for comedic effect. Like with her all, all in shadowed stuff for her face, because cats are unforgiving.
1: it's funny how it's still less horrifying than that fucking manticore looking cat from the (laughs) renee oh Oh, Oh, my god (laughs) Uh, (laughs) which
0: cat even Rokumon
1: I just I just hate that human face on that cat yeah Rokumon yeah Yeah.
2: Rokumon's (laughs) so adorable boy he's like Shippo but not
0: useless (laughs) yeah (laughs)
1: God,
2: Chipo
0: was so useless it took them 40 episodes to have him show up in Yashihime
2: and then even then in the manga it's like where where's Waldo with him you just see him pop up in a chapter and you have to go back in the chapter and figure out where he was the entire time because he has no presence <laughs>
3: <laughs> but okay so I mean I guess our overall thoughts of it Clearly, we need to rank these stories. <laughs> this isn't a Sheldon Jump podcast, so we're not... No, I'm kidding. Uh, okay. Hmm. Mirror, for, for me, anyway, uh, Mirror would definitely be 1st Um, Mm-hmm. Cat, the cat would be second. Uh, mm, Lovely flower and a revenge doll. Yeah, that's how I do it. I mean, honestly, no. No, I take that back. My Sweet Sunday would be first. <laughs> Then the rest.
1: <laughs> yeah, I would. I, I'm. I'm like. Uh, I actually liked um, the the flower one about as much as I did the, the cat one. So I would. I would. They would both be tied for number two for me. Uh, I, I'm not. I'm not including uh, the the Sunday one. By the way.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, Lord, Do you want to go before me, or should I go next? Or I, I'll, I'll go. I guess. I mean. Okay.
2: So. I'm not going to include the Sweet Sunday one, because the Sweet mm-hmm. Sunday one is just going to be at the top, I guess. Yeah, it
0: feels just so separate. Like, I couldn't rank it amongst the rest of these, because it's such a different type of one shot. It's like an autobiographical reflection from Adachi and Takahashi about their careers, whereas the rest are, like, short fiction stories. So,
1: yeah, it's it's hard to compare. Of course everyone's favorite part of the meal is dessert. <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs> you know it is, a su- it is a sweet Sunday, so yeah, that makes oh, sense. It's
2: true, it's true. <laughs> yeah, I guess best from best to worst, uh, mirror then flower, cat, uh, thousand faces, then doll at the bottom.
0: Oh, you know, I think I will have to mirror Lealord what- here. I think my order is exactly the same. Oh, nice. <laughs> For Reasons I think we've discussed on the, the podcast pretty well. But yeah, I think that, that's in order of like how strong I think the the stories and the themes uh, as reflected
1: in the stories were. Beautiful. I'll shake on that. Mm-hmm. All right.
0: <laughs> and also how likable the characters are, I think. Because yeah, as we descend, we're getting into like characters who are like, you know, really unlikable in terms of revenge at all. Or really like kind of, you know, hard to get a sense of in Thousand Faces.
2: Yeah, but yeah, I'd say this is, like, worth reading if, like, not every story resonates with you, just because, like, it's interesting seeing, like, these... Like different types of stories that Takashi does that we don't yeah. normally see.
0: And two thirds of the stories are really great and velvet well reading. Like the, the sort of start off strong with Ken King the Mirror. It's a very thoughtful piece of social commentary. And then you get again the dessert, the creme of the piece is like My Sweet Sunday, which is just a fascinating look at manga history and the careers of two of some of the greatest artists in the business. So I mean, if you're, like, a manga fan interested in, like, manga history, and especially in the history and the careers of these authors, like, that story alone is a selling point for this book, I think. Mm,
2: agreed. Yeah. Yeah, I guess it's uh, time to wrap it up.
1: All right. All right. Lum, why don't you have the honor of giving us all your social media so that we can our, our lovely listeners can know where to find you.
0: Well, thank you. And I try not to take too long of this, but you can find me personally at LomarMuyasha on Twitter. And you can also find me pretty much wherever I am by the username, primarily Letterboxd and Animation Revelation Herders and Anylist Herders, so LomarMuyasha, that's where you can find me and you can also read my manga reviews on MangaMarics.com. we got a lot of books coming in, a lot of reviews going out. I definitely have I've started a review for King of the Mirror, so you can look forward to one on there, as well as other you know Takahashi reviews and other manga reviews. we got a lot to work on and write about. But also, of course, MangaMarics.com is the home of my flagship podcast, MangaMarics, where we discuss manga as both a medium and as an industry. And you can follow us on Twitter at Mongo Mavericks and on every podcast platform pod you can think of Apple's Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and the like. Wherever you listen to podcasts, we're on it. And if you want more specific uh, Rumiko Takahashi related podcasts from me, you should definitely be checking out Lum Squad, the Yurusei Yatsura focused podcast I do. ...with my good friend Andrea C. Yoshimura... ...discussing the wonderful rocking World... And we're going to talk about his first and more classic series... ...Yurusi ...having a lot of fun discussing... Viz's releases of the manga... ...as well as the movies... ...Now they on Crutch and on Blu-ray from Disco Tech... ...and we're so excited to discuss... ...about the new anime... ...coming later this year... ...so we have a lot to talk about... ...we're really excited about a plans for the show this year, and you can find us on Twitter, at Lundry Squad, and on every podcast to of like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and the like. And if you want to, like, support our podcasts, you can head over to Patreon.com, where we have, like, a lot of, like, tier options in terms of bonus podcasts that you can support and, like, all the support you draw away. You know, it gives you access to early episodes of our shows and also just helps us keep making cool podcasts. And uh, if you like the art I do for our podcasts, illustrations I do, animations, illustrations I make in general, you can find that on my Instagram at
1: Nice, sweet. Definitely, definitely give them a give them a follow. Check out all their stuff. Uh, Lum does amazing work. Well, thank you. Um, you're welcome. Uh, now, V Lord, you get the pl- you get the honor of following up.
2: Okay then. Yeah, people can find me on Twitter at vlordgtz. Then I write various things for allcomic.com, as well as Tsunami Faithful. And I also am involved with a number of podcasts with these fine folks. Our biggest podcast, which is a number, like, I don't know. No, number 30, top 100, where we're really big in over 40 countries somehow, the Demon Slayer podcast. On Twitter at Slayer Podcast, we talk about Demon Slayer, so if you're like Demon Slayer and want to hear some people talk about it at nauseum, go over there. But aside from that, uh, I'm also involved with Oversoul Shaman King podcast with Miran Sakaki, um, at Shaman King Pod, and I also do the Dumb Weeb's podcast over at Dumb Weeb's Pod, as well as the Toonami Faithful podcast at Tsunami Podcast. So check out all of those. Nice,
1: Sekaki.
3: Yo, all right. Um, I'm honored to accept this honor. <laughs> um, you can find me at um. Well, at WSS Talkback on Twitter, which is the Weekly Shogaku Condition, where we talk about all of Shonen Sunday. So there are there is some Takahashi talk, but, I mean, we're not quite focused on that. But, yeah, you can definitely, we, we definitely do talk about her quite a bit. Um, we do, we're, there are lots of magazine-based Twitters out there, but we're the only ones that go through the entire magazine every week. Um... don't you forget it exactly (laughs) um besides that you can also check us out wsstalkback.blogspot.com which is where the the blog that accompanies the twitter where we have translations of interviews reviews of sunday manga um yeah you can definitely go check that out and as always i always say this and everybody is welcome to join in whether it's a currently running Sunday series, or when it ended a long time ago, or anything, we're always looking for guest writers, so please, by all means, come, come hit us up. Um, as Lum mentioned, there are uh, the Manga Mavericks podcast has different tiers. If you're willing, if you are uh, um, donate. And one of those tiers you can get you can unlock a podcast I'm doing with my good friend Colton, Another Day, Another Adventure, is at another DV pod. Um where if it's animated and has Goku in it, we're gonna try to talk about it. And we're actually doing a pretty good job because we're in the 40s now. It feels like we just started. But yeah, we're making our way through the original Dragon Ball. And that's been a lot of fun. So please, by all means, um if you want to hear those episodes early, um you know, contribute to the Manga Manga Mavericks Patreon. Otherwise, I mean, if you don't feel like you have to, because the episodes do come out publicly after some time, so definitely check that out. Um, and, yeah, you can find me personally at Kirobon K-I-I-R-O-B-O-N, on Twitter. Um, I just started yu gi read for the first time ever. <laughs> I'm more of a yu gi um anime guy, so this is going to be interesting to go through. Um, yeah, and a lot. I got a lot of people really excited to have me read it, which is always validating. (laughs) So yeah, if you're into that, check that out. And that's where you can find me.
1: Nice. Um, You can find me uh, on Twitter at microwavy. the E's before the V. Uh, Sometimes I contribute to uh, the WSS Talkback blog. So if you want to see my writing, you can find it there. Uh, WSSTalkback.blogspot.com. Sometimes I also contribute, uh, writing for Tsunami Faithful at tsunamifaithful dot com, uh, and I also have my own personal blog that's uh, heavens dot wordpress uh, I have not done much recently. Uh, still super bogged at work. Uh, for those who do kind of like, I guess keep up with uh, what I've been doing. Uh, I I recently got certified, so I'm uh, nationally accredited pharmacies technician so mm-hmm. poggers yeah ooh and uh yeah well that's that's what I've been up to besides uh just general uh fighting covid <laughs> at work uh but yeah uh very very happy about that thanks to to all of you guys all of my friends and everyone else who's been supporting me along the way it's not easy like Working full time and like trying to make the most out of your hobbies, but it, it's always fulfilling when I do get to spend time with you guys. So thanks. Um, of course, and uh, yeah, uh, you can find all the other podcasts I co host in or star in or whatever guest frequent, whatever, whatever the phrase is on uh, the the link in my my Twitter bio. Um, and, uh, yeah, besides that, uh, you can find Saturday Night Shoggy on Twitter at Sat Night Uh, you can find us on your preferred podcast pl- platform. Uh, we should be on basically all of them, most of them. Uh, and, uh, yeah, if you happen to enjoy listening to us, uh, do, do rate us. Uh, leave comments if you can. Uh, give us any feedback. Uh, we do have a, we have an email, right? Uh, in case people want to send, like, maybe longer-form messages. Do we? I think we do. Ooh, oh, oh, that's news to me. <laughs> uh, just... Actually, just send it to the... Send it to the the, the, the TB email. Uh, oh, okay. We, we do.
2: We do, actually. It's satnightshockey at gmail.com. Poggers. All right.
1: Do that. Uh yeah i think i think that covers about most of it uh all right then (laughs) you know what i just thought of uh it it doesn't even make sense uh i think um no this this joke doesn't land because uh i was thinking about uh the fuck is this the story called again the one with the cat wait
3: with cat cat, yeah
1: yeah it looks like uh toward the end uh what's his face shoot up yeah Shooter was trying to pet the pussy. I'm
2: so mad. He
1: <laughs> was uh, <right. laughs> um, married. Why?
0: why? <laughs> yeah, I guess he was placing one, placing another. Don't oh, worry.
1: Got you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Good night, folks. <laughs> <laughs> <All right. laughs>
0: what the fuck?
3: <laughs> I can't even follow up with that one, man. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs>